This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. The episodes in this feed were originally published on Crawlspace. Please use caution while listening and follow Crawlspace Podcast for more. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Empty Frames Wormtown Studios. What's up, Lance? How's it going today? Great. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm really happy to be here in the Empty Frames Crawl Space Wormtown Studios because you and I just recently got a glimpse into the mind of many serial killers, mass murderers, mass shooters, and it feels good to be in the safe confinements of our of our nice black box here. Yes. Our guest, Christopher Duet, has written with... A lot of killers. Chris Duet said that he has an itch that just can't be scratched, and that itch is his desire to find out what makes serial killers, mass murderers, mass shooters tick. Everyone from Richard Ramirez to Whitey Bulger. So really an endlessly fascinating interview with Christopher Duet, who also wrote an article about this subject for Vice.com, which is linked to in our show notes. The article, I've been pen pals with nearly 50 murderers and serial killers. The term pen pal is a very easy way to categorize what it is, but he'll tell you that he doesn't really consider himself pals, except for one. So please enjoy this conversation and follow him on Twitter and follow us on Twitter at CrawlSpacePod. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to Crawl Space. Christopher Duet, how are you tonight? Good. How are you guys? Doing pretty well. Really excited to talk to you. I'm very excited to be on the show. Well, thanks a lot. We didn't know anything about you until we saw this. As you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) We saw this link that went to a Vice article from November of 2014. The title of it was I've Been Pen Pals with Nearly 50 Murderers and Serial Killers. And as Tim and I do what we do, we couldn't help but click on it, read about two sentences and say, this guy has to be on. Not my choice of a title, but... But a great title. It gets the point across. It's fairly... uh... (laughs) You know, you know, you know what you're about to read. It's a really interesting hobby that you have. So I guess the the first question, the most natural question, I feel like, is why. I remember in 1989, my parents used to always have the news on. I remember the execution of Ted Bundy saturated the news. You couldn't get away from it. I remember watching the news coverage. I remember watching all the people celebrating outside of the the death chamber, and and that stuck with me for some reason. And then. A few years later, uh, we had um, Danny Rowling on the loose in Gainesville. I was probably about seven or eight years old at the time, so I I didn't really, you know, get what was going on. Um, Another thing that covered the news around here, at least, I don't know how big it was nationally at that time. I remember asking my mom about it, and she would, she told me, she goes, he is murdering people, and she she even told me he would pose their bodies for for shock value or, you know, and, and I remember going, Oh my fucking God. Like as a little kid, I was like, that's who would do that. That's crazy. You know, around that, that same year, um, my, my favorite uncle was arrested for a pretty brutal attempted murder. I I spent the next several years 
my weekends were on a prison yard visiting him. Um, when you visit him, you know, he'll say, oh, you know, that guy over there is in for this. Like, and it just breeds more curiosity about, you know, this deviant behavior. And he, and even so, that, that was a side of my uncle. I'd never say, I'd never think that my uncle would, you know, stab a person multiple times, leave the knife in him and walk away. It didn't make any sense to me. So I grew up, got to my teenage years. Since my teenage years, I was a total shithead. Just like Lance was. Yeah. <laughs> Weren't we all? You know, the serial killer thing never left. I always, you know, would read books, things like that throughout school and everything. I got a little bit older into my early 20s and whatnot. One of my good friends that I lived with at the time, he was uh, arrested for, you know, bank robberies, things like that. He's doing 20 years in federal prison now. So, I mean, I was always surrounded by this behavior and, and it always, you know, it always found its way to me and everything. And, and But I've always had a fascination with it as well. Uh, so it seems like the fascination is, you know, this person is someone else and there's a different side of them that is there as well underneath it all. 100%. That's, that's what it is. Me having that personal connection to that made it more intriguing to me. Eventually, it got to a point where I could consume the books, the TV shows, everything. It wasn't scratching the itch, and I just could not get enough information. And, and I was devouring textbooks, and it just wasn't cutting it. So one day, I, I sent out a handful of letters to you know, a handful of serial killers. I didn't know what to expect. About probably three weeks or so later, I, I, I have a letter in the mail that, you know, it's addressed to me. I'm not familiar with the person. I look at the name, it's Scribble Scrabble. And I, I'm like, what does that say? I, I take a closer look and I see it says Richard Ramirez. I rushed inside, opened it up. And from there, I was, I, I had to talk to everyone. I had to, you know, I had to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Before we get into what Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, wrote to you, do you think that there was something in your environment that drew people or drew you to people that had this penchant for violence? You know, that's, that's kind of hard for me to answer because uh, I, I like to think that, you know, there was no major dysfunction surrounding me or anything like that. I, I mean, even now, I, I think I'm fairly well adjusted in society and whatnot. But I personally have been and, and still kind of am a rebellious person. With that comes, you know, problems, trouble. I, I got a little older. I joined what some people deem as a gang. I, I've, I've never been in a, you know, drugs or, or I don't drink alcohol, nothing like that. I mean, there's been a lot of violence, you know, I'm not sure if anything drew me to it, um, possibly my behavior and, and, you know, my maybe seeing a part of me and, and other people and, and maybe that's the draw, but, but that, that would be subconscious. It was nothing really upfront like that. I will say this fascination that you have with killers and, and with the psychology behind why people act on the, these violent impulses, you're right at home here. In, in the podcast world and the podcast realm, because uh, especially the true crime one, because everyone is thinking about psychology pretty much the entire time they're listening, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the great thing about it. People can tend to treat you like a weirdo because of your natural curiosity and fascination when there's nothing bad about it. It's, it's a healthy fascination. If it's a healthy fascination, it should be nurtured. So it's nice that there's, you know, true crime podcasts, there's, you know, the TV shows and things like that, that maybe some people might use that destructively. But I think a lot of people have a, a really healthy fascination with it. And I think a lot of good comes from that. I think so too. I mean, we see it with CrimeCon. Several thousand people go to a convention about true crime 
you know, a, a yearly convention and it's all to learn. Ultimately, it's all to learn how about psychology and about how to live safer lives. But but some people are confused like by that. Yeah, no, I, I won't say everybody, but I think a lot of people are like me that, you know, they they have this this itch that can't be scratched, you know, and it's just you just want to devour more and more information. And my wife hates it. She doesn't like it. She, she didn't like it when I had, you know, all the pen. The, I, I don't want to call them pals. They weren't my pals. But, you know, when I had all the correspondences and uh, and they would send me things, some of them would send cards to give to her. And she was like, I don't want anything to do with that. She doesn't like it, you know, and, and that's fine. That's not her thing. And, and it's not for everybody. But I think the people like myself, like like you guys, I think there's nothing wrong with you know, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. And and I think in due time, it's, you know, it's going to show that it's it's a productive interest. It's almost a productive experiment, if you will. What you've done is your own personal experiment in the psychology of these, you know, people would call them monsters and you went into the heads of these monsters. And it's an experiment and it's a social experiment and you don't have to like it, but it's there. You know, it's not going away. Richard Ramirez happened. The Golden State Killer happened. Absolutely, this is as as, as realistic as it gets, and that, and that's another thing is that because I've had the experience that I've had, I've I've spoken to these people. I kn- I knew a lot of their cases very well. I knew a lot of direct information from them. So now I don't let my kids play outside by themselves because and people are like, that's that's a bit excessive. I'm like, no, it's it's not. There there are horrible people out there that do horrible things to other people, and they they are real. I. <laughs> I know them. There's always a a barrier there. I think that, you know, me getting past that barrier, I'm very in tune to the reality of it. It's all very, very real. It must be really bizarre for you when people say to you, it's just because of that, like, morbid hobby that you have with your writing to serial killers. And then your answer ultimately is, yeah, it is because of the hobby I have writing these animals and I know they exist. So it's not fiction. It's really interesting that people will separate that in their brain. Someone like Ted Bundy, a lot of people probably think it's easier to consider him fiction. It's fine when they're in the movie. It's fine when, you know, they're on the TV show and, and all that. When it comes to reality, they don't want to confront the truth that these people are are very real and they're very dangerous. And and I mean, it, and it puts, it can put other people and, you know, it's just, it's, it's very bad. And and it's not something that people want to think about. They, they really don't. Um, So, I mean, having, having that knowledge myself, I mean, it's something that I can't help but to think about you know yeah but look at what you just said about it you you said that you won't let your kids um play outside alone so technically speaking they're more safe than the kids next door whose parents do let them play outside alone statistically the you know the chances of of something them being a victim of violent crime by by a you know an unknown person it's it's not through the roof you know, I'm not going to pretend like this is, but, but it does happen. It does happen. There's no reason to not be uh, aware of and take measures to just make sure you're not that like 0.01% that it happens to on that particular day. You don't want to be on the, the wrong end of that. When you realize how real that stuff is, I don't live in a bubble, but there's situations that, that, that can be avoidable. And, and, and looking at all these these killers and how they operate and how they chose their victims, how they victimized people. 
I mean, you can learn from that stuff and you can use that as a tool to protect yourself, to protect other people. I mean, it's there. That's a good segue to getting back to uh, 2009, right? When you got the letter from Richard Ramirez? Yeah, I think it was 2009. What did you write to him and what did he write back? I wrote a pretty uh, standard introduction letter. I would introduce myself, uh, tell them why why I'm writing them, uh, tell them a little bit about myself, try and make them comfortable, try to... Uh, build a rapport or, or at least make them comfortable enough to where even if they were suspicious of me to that where they would write me back and you know even if they were like I don't know about you if they wrote me back I know I have a foot in the door so it's 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 on me to to fuck it up or, or to take it somewhere so yeah I got a letter back from him the shocking thing to me because I, I think that I was expecting this bloodthirsty fucking animal you know and he was so goddamn boring that it hurt. Painfully boring that he, I mean, his, he had no personality. And, and, and I think that's part of why he became what he became. Because honestly, had he not so brutally murdered these people and put, you know, his stamp on it, he would have been such an unremarkable person. He, he would have been a, a fart in the wind. Uh, I mean, his letter, I was just, um, what kind of cars do you like? Uh, you know, really just general mundane shit. And then I, at, out of nowhere in the middle of the letter, it says, um, hey, maybe you can go to the beach and take pictures of girls in bikinis for me. And I was like, ah, there's the Richard Ramirez that... Uh, that I was expecting, but but for the for the most part, the guy was boring. So that surprised you because all you've heard and seen online and in the news is this man who walks into people's homes, right, and wakes them up, and he's and just fucking slaughtering them, right, and pentagrams in their blood, and you got to think you're like, oh my god, this this guy's a maniac, and then you know you get this really uh dull letter and, and you're just like wow that's the same guy so all the all the expectations for me were broken and then i had to adjust to seeing them as human beings and not as their crimes based on his courtroom theatrics and everything and and how he was playing to the camera and sticking his tongue out and things like that he was probably aware of that what he was doing like he was just trying to freak people out it wasn't just like an uncontrollable urge right i think he manufactured all that because he wanted to he wanted to be known for something you know he wanted the celebrity he wanted the attention outside of that he had nothing else to get him that attention he wanted or anything i do think i mean i'm not saying he he murdered people because he wanted attention and stuff solely i mean i think he is a, a, every bit as bad as he's portrayed to be and, and and that's genuine he took advantage of the the idea of celebrity for it all you know because he wasn't the first that the news lines blew that stuff up about so did that deter you from writing more letters were you thinking wow if they're all going to be this boring why am i doing this or did that motivate you to you know dig deeper and see what more you could get from others yeah no it absolutely motivated me to dig deeper because you really see the the pathology there and i mean richard ramirez wasn't that he pretty, pretty much carried himself that you know he he's a fucking slime ball you know but you have these other serial killers who who carry themselves quite well and they you know family men church going guys and all that stuff and they're out there you know murdering innocent people and so once you once you realize that pathology is there um a lot of them are very manipulative you you stop trying to process what they're telling you and taking what they're telling you at face value. And instead you have to analyze uh, 
you know, exactly what they're saying, but how they're saying it, how they're coming off, how they're presenting. And you have to dig into everything about that to really get a, you know, picture of them. And you have to, you have to know what to spot. It's there. They're, they, they're, they're complex. So you're saying they're giving you kind of hints or clues to keep the conversation going and kind of ask them about their interests in their initial letters it runs the gamut then that was another thing is is people like to they like the idea that that serial killers are this you know they're generic cookie cutter of each other and that's not the case um they all very much have their own personalities you have to know you have to get to know their personality uh to know how they manipulate and when they're being manipulative and and things like that you can't you can't go into it with a with a cookie cutter mentality it doesn't work was there anybody that you corresponded with that you got the sense that they knew that they were insane they knew that they were insane yeah uh no no i don't think so my focus was serial killers mass murder spree killers couple domestic terrorists uh school shooters there's there's personality disorders you can see uh, some mental illness. Some of them, it's it's severe. Really, they they should be in hospitals. Some of them, it's it's you know it's not that bad, but but it it, it it's there. But I've never encountered anyone that was like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm fucking crazy and this and that. I mean, I probably the most self aware of their mental state. There's a there's a school shooter in Kentucky named Michael Carneal. He is a schizophrenic he he knows he's a schizophrenic he was on a lot of medication when i spoke with him uh, he still exhibited a lot of symptoms and things like that but he acknowledged uh his mental illness that doesn't happen a lot i think that's something that i didn't realize would be so fascinating to me after reading the article and listening to you speak as if someone would actually acknowledge that to you yeah i mean he was he was um rare in that sense there's another guy he murdered an actress named rebecca schaefer his name is john bardo bardo would write me sometimes three four letters a day and they were the the envelope was just scribbled with stuff saying uh, to my friend this and that. I mean, it was you know, how you think a a crazy person would write you a letter. That's that's him. And his letters were the same way, just nonsensical scribble, no fluent um, idea of conversation, nothing like that. A lot of random shit, and him asking me for for. Uh, photos and addresses of other celebrities he, he was in there for stalking and murdering an actress and he still i mean he would tell me oh uh i saw one of the menendez brothers on the yard today and treating like like they were a celebrity and and i don't know if he's aware of his mental illness but the guy's very mentally ill okay so just to touch on current events real quick with the golden state killer and he is just like a stone wall basically and he's not looking at the cameras he's really not doing anything but looking straight ahead other than being in a cage at one point so that's a person that that is on the other end of the spectrum right like isn't interested in the media and seems to have control over himself yeah. right yeah you you have people like that as well. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine he's ever going to, you know, come clean with everything. I can't imagine he's going to talk to investigators or, or he would respond to a letter or anything like that. I think he wants nothing to do with that stuff. Do you have any urge? I know you haven't done this in a little while, but do you have any urge to write him? Yeah, I, I'd like to. I, I don't think now's the right time. Timing 
plays a role in uh, in contacting these people. At some point, I would like to attempt to talk to him, but I wouldn't get my hopes up that he wants to talk to me. How did you decide who to write? I was drawn to cases of people who committed exceptionally uh, heinous or brutal murders as, as juveniles. I found that to be really interesting. Um, serial killers. I wrote suspected serial killers. It wasn't like I was picking out the name brand people or, or whoever grabbed the headlines. I pretty much went after whoever I could if they met my criteria of interest. What was the response rate? It's hard to you know, put in a percentage or anything like that. Some I got, some I didn't get. It's a roll of the dice. I, I, I know a couple other people that, that wrote to inmates because, you know, you do this and you, you find people with similar interests. And, uh, you know, a couple of them may get, you know, these people, they got them because they might do something that I wouldn't do. They might give them money or, or whatever the case. And, and I, I had my agenda. I might send them money for postage or, or phone time for them to call me. But I wasn't putting money on their commissary and or, or selling their, their poetry or whatever shit they were peddling. And, and maybe some other people will. And, and, you know, they'll write those people because they have something to offer them. If, you know, if I didn't have anything to offer them, then they might not have written me back. So and that's fine. So you said that you, by doing this, you meet other people who are like-minded and do the same thing. So there was almost like a community of people like that. And did you guys get together? And did you say like, who wrote back to you or who did you talk to? I know one person like that. If he got somebody that I couldn't get, or if I got somebody that he couldn't get, you know, it would be like, hey, can you put in a word for me with this person or that person? Not so much a community. You look online and all that, you see the murderabilia and stuff like that. You might not share the same purpose, but you're doing the same thing. So, I mean, it's you You might find a couple people that you have more in common with. You're not collecting names so much, but you do want to talk to them. But regardless of your purpose, it, you know, this guy may want to sell their shit and make some money, but I may want to, you know, have the conversation and, and, and get to, you know, maybe understand them better or learn something from them. What's the weirdest uh, correspondence you've had? Well, what do you... Wait, Weird in what sense? I don't know. You open the letter, you start reading, and you're like, I don't know if I can finish this. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've had a couple of those. There's a guy named Haddon Clark in Maryland. And uh, Haddon Clark has multiple personalities. Very bad guy. He murdered... uh, he murdered a little girl. He murdered another woman. Admitted to cannibalism. Claims he's murdered more people. You have to address his appropriate personality when you want to when you want to talk to him. So, uh, according to him, it was don't give me don't quote me here, but I think his his female personality was was uh, Christine Christina or, or or Kelly or something like that. And if you wanted to discuss the murders, you had to refer to that personality and he would respond in that personality. If he was making artwork, you had to address him as Mr. Bunny Rabbit, I think it was. One one letter he asked me to send him photos of, of little girls in dresses. Yeah, it was unfucking believable I mean, you, you want to tell that guy to fuck off. It's horrible shit. Trying to remain civil throughout that and, and, and not to damage the rapport it's 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 fucking tough but but yeah he he was he was pretty out there there's a, a serial killer in california named uh philip jablonski uh he was one of the first that wrote me back he uh makes no bones about what he is horrible serial killer murdered his his ex-wife uh, her mother 
uh, sexually assaulted the victims, murdered and mutilated a woman he went to uh, college with, tried to rape his own mother at one point when he was in prison the first time. I mean, horrible, horrible guy. And and he'll send you letters and uh, drawings and, and things like that, just mocking his victims and, and saying, oh, I, I, ha- I had a visit today and there's a, a three-year-old running around in the cage next to me and I just wanted to, to rape and kill it. And you're just like... Oh my fucking god! That's that's it's unbelievable. You're not used to hearing anybody ever be like, "Hey, you see that little kid over there? I want to kill that kid." You know, and you never get you don't get used to it, and it, and it's it's fucking just repugnant every time. But I mean, dealing with that and and, and confronting confronting that that this person has can or will do that, and you know, I mean, you have to. You have to figure it out on the fly how you want to proceed with it. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's there. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's not something you encounter all the time. I'm trying to figure out how I would react to reading that. Like, you just said that. You said you don't have a conversation with somebody, and that's something that they tell you every day, and you just move on. And I think the part that it's genuine behind it, because anyone can can blurt out some stupid shit, you know? So, but these, these guys are... <laughs> They're being themselves. When you first read these things, because you're reading this in a letter from uh, Philip Jablonski, were you just like, this can't be real? This guy, this guy's full of shit. Did, did it just not compute in your brain at first? No. I mean, he, he he's very fantasy driven. He likes to play on that. Would he actually do it had someone opened that cage and he could access that? I think he would. I don't think it's serial killer bravado or anything like that. I, I don't think he's trying. He may, may, he may say some of that stuff. To try and you know shock and you know I'm the I'm the serial killer and but but no I I, I at the end of the day I, I think he means it. So that's someone who just seems to not be able to control themselves at all. No, he doesn't try. He doesn't try at all. You get some like that, but for the most part, they're not like that. It's very rare in that sense. And and I think a lot of people think that they are that upfront and everything. They're not. They're not. He's 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 very rare. Him and and there's another. A guy named Jack Spillman in Washington, who it's some of the most horrific mutilation murders you could imagine. Spillman makes no bones about what he is. I mean, he's, you know, same thing, would ask me pictures of, of women who look sick, send, send him pictures of that. Yeah, just weird shit. And, uh, you know, he brags about his crimes and stuff. And, and not not in a sense that he's he's trying to impress, but in a sense that he wants to talk about it. He loves to talk about it. He loves... He, he openly admits he loves blood and gore, and I, I mean, it's surreal. I have two points. One one real quick. I just looked up a Jablonski. If I saw this guy on the street, I'd turn around. This guy, looks, this guy looks like exactly what you were describing. What do you do in response to that when someone, uh, who is it, Spill, Spillman? Spillman, yeah. Who asks you for the pictures of sick women? I do reply. I don't go Google sick-looking women and, and print out pictures and send it to them, but... You have to learn how to navigate these things. And, and I, I, I seriously get at least two or three you know, messages on Twitter a week from people going, hey, how should I go about this? And I, I want to do this. But they don't consider all these things. And, and, and I tell them, I say, well, you have to know how to deal with it. That's that's part of it. If not, then you won't have any success, and it's not worth doing. I mean, and also, they should be completely prepared 
with what it's going to do to them psychologically. I don't know if people actually understand what it can do to read that. I myself had horrible, horrible nightmares. It will affect you negatively. It does. And I mean, it, there's there's been instances of FBI agents <laughs> having some, you know, post-traumatic issues with, with speaking with these people. And I mean, it, it's it's very ugly stuff and you're surrounding yourself with it. And it's, you're, I mean, you're, you're jumping right into the fire and yeah, the there are negative effects. I personally have, have dealt with them. That's part of it. Can you tell us about Barry Lucatus? Yeah. Barry was, I believe, 14 years old in, I want to say, 97 or 98, something around that time. He went to a school and uh, went to algebra class with a gun and murdered the teacher, uh, shot some students. I guess he was going to take all of them hostage. So I wrote Barry. Barry wrote me back. Super smart guy. This really bright, intelligent guy. We had a lot in common. Me and Barry just got along really, really well. I, I wouldn't say that I, I was friendly with with a lot of people, but I wouldn't say that I was friends with him. Uh, Barry, I consider a friend. And why do you consider him a friend? I get along with him really well. Uh, I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but but him and I, we got along really well. The thing that was able for me to break down the, the, the barrier that I always kept between myself and the inmate, Barry was horribly, horribly remorseful for his crime. And it was very, very genuine. You know, some of them, you know, that you're only like that because you're in prison. We let you out. You're going to go right back to what you were doing. But but Barry was extremely sincere. He had he had nothing to gain from it. He had nothing to lose from it. He's never getting out of prison. That, that sincerity for his remorse, it, it was very genuine in his actions and in his words. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, he, he won't talk to journalists because he feels disrespectful to his victims. He won't do any interviews, things like that. He, he tells me that he, he's racked with guilt. He gets depressed and Barry is he's a human who who made horrible choices as a juvenile. I know juveniles are, they're still developing and everything like that. And, and some, some you go on, they, they don't feel remorse for their crimes. Barry was very, very remorseful. So I was, I was able to drop the, you know, the barrier that I keep between myself and, and I, and Barry, I consider a friend. So that, again, that's two, two total ends of the spectrum, right? One person yeah. who shows something kind of incredible remorse actually. And, yeah. uh, and you know someone like Jablonski or or uh, Spillman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you get everything in between. I mean, you get the guys who are proud of their crimes, and you get the guys they say they're remorseful. And then and then you know you have Barry, who is a rare rare case that that I've come across. When you were talking about the handwriting, and you get letters, and it's all scribbled, and and you're able to look at that, and I'm sure if if it's a complete disaster and chaos on the paper, you can sort of get the idea that this person probably isn't in their right state of mind. Was there any letter that you opened and you looked at and you said, "Wow, this has got this guy's got some pretty decent handwriting and is very articulate." I mean, there's several that are very articulate, well spoken, intelligent people. Uh, Whitey Bulger. He has some very uh, pretty handwriting. I, I wouldn't say he's intelligent, or but he's 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 very likable. He's he's very likable guy. Did Whitey Bulger uh, ever mention the uh, the Gardner heist in any of your your correspondence with him? No, but he was. He, I mean, at that point, he kind of knew he was pretty fucked. So he and and he's he's old. He he was he was old when he got caught a few years ago. He's old now. He he was surprisingly candid I, I mean he he urged me not to live a life of crime 
though I, though I told him, I said, well, I, I have no interest in that. He, he would tell me about his, his family. He would tell me about doing time in Alcatraz. I think at the time he was one of 11 people still alive that did time in Alcatraz. Hearing someone who was in Alcatraz tell you stories is surreal. Tell, I asked him about the, the, you know, the famous escape from Alcatraz. I, I said, do you think they made it? He goes, I know for a fact they made it, but he never went into detail. And, uh, you know, he, he, he tells you just the crazy. I mean, this guy was so powerful and he was the number two most wanted man in America behind Osama bin Laden. Only when did bin Laden die, he became the most wanted. But I mean, the stories he, he told and everything and, and just how he how he comes out. at the time, he was a bit depressed, you know, knowing that he's going to die in prison. Or, or, you know, possibly be trucked around to different states to face the death penalty or whatever the case. So he was a bit in the dumps. But even then, he was still surprisingly affable. If he had mentioned something about the Gardner heist or any open investigation, would that have been redacted before it came to your address? I don't think so. He's um, told me about stuff he did when he was on the run. He mentioned a letter I specifically uh said I never killed any women or FBI agents, like really trying to get that across, I, which I, I don't believe I ever forced that that issue of, you know, wanting information on the, any murders or any specific thing. But, but he felt it necessary to make it a point to me that I know that. Have you ever been visited by law enforcement because of the correspondence, especially with Whitey Bulger? No, I, I've spoken to a few more where I thought for sure that they... <laughs> They, uh, Terry Nichols, the Oklahoma City bomber co-conspirator, I thought absolutely I'd be getting a knock on my door. All the all their mail, their phone calls, all that stuff is all you know recorded or read. Um, I think if there's anything that set off any alarms or was unsettling, um, they they probably would have wanted to talk to me by now. But I mean that just goes to show my intentions, and and I, I do portray them genuinely. I don't, you know, there's no. There's nothing deviant to what I'm doing. Have you thought about publishing these letters in a book or something? Uh, they're all gone. I got rid of everything. So I, I really don't have much left. I have my letters from Barry and I have, you know, a few letters here and there from people. I pretty much, uh, I sold everything, all, all the art, all the, you know, photos, poetry, everything they sent me, the letters. I didn't want it around. I didn't want my children to, you know, at some point find it and, and inquire about that. I, um, it makes my wife uncomfortable. Um, quite honestly, it got to a point where it made me uncomfortable. So uh, I, I made the decision to, to part with all that stuff. Um, if someone else can find use in it, fantastic. If, if, say, one of my letters is floating around and they buy it because it's, it's, you know, they have an interest in this and it pushes them further and, you know, and, hey, maybe they want to pursue a, a career as a detective or in forensics or whatever the case I'm glad that I could be the catalyst for that. I didn't see it necessary to, to publish a book or anything like that and profit off of that. I just, it didn't, I don't know. That just wasn't for me. Do you think the entire experience has made you a better human? I think it's enlightened me in several ways. I think having to be more patient, uh, calm, being tolerant. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to be tolerant with some of these people, but you have to be and you have to, you have to tolerate their, their, them bullshitting you, their manipulations, or, or or them, you know, being outright offensive or offensive to their their victims, which you know a lot of people won't stand for. I don't, I don't want to stand for it, but I, I don't know that it's it's 
changed me or bettered me or anything like that. I don't know. I'm still the same person. So I couldn't help but notice that you have a similar tattoo on your hand as Richard Ramirez. I do. Since I was very young, I, I got into, you know, the philosophies of Satanism and, and things like that. Today, I'm a, I'm a, a strong supporter of the, the Satanic Temple. Um, I'm not a member of anything. I, I, I am a big supporter of the Satanic Temple, what they do as an organization and all that. I, I support the shit out of them. I am an atheist. However, I do reject Christianity as a valid belief. I think it's stupid. I, I don't think that people have to people have to tolerate other people's beliefs. We don't have to respect them. Um, yeah, I have a tattoo of pentagram on my left hand to symbolize the left hand path. Basically, I'm the opposite of the, the Christian way and all that stuff. And, and, and I'm fine with letting that be known. I, it, it's not an homage to Ramirez. He, you know, the dipshit kind of ruined it for people like me. We are also supporters of the uh, Satanic Temple as well. We've made friends with uh, Lucian Greaves. We did a live show with him. Really, really amazing, articulate, brilliant. I'd say brilliant, brilliant man. That guy's something else. I mean, he's, he's, he's leaps and bounds above where society is. And, and I mean, I, I really wish more people would have the open mind to give him a chance to just to listen to the guy because... You know, what they're putting out there in the world is is for human rights, and it, it's great. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, he's got an incredible sense of humor whenever somebody tries to shut him down in, in, a, in a really naive, ignorant way. I, I definitely dig that guy. Yeah, he threatened to kill me during the live show. <laughs> really? It was a veiled threat. In a joking way, yeah. yeah. And, I, yeah and What are you going to do about that? And I was asking for it. One quick question for uh, Lucian. I know that Tim was particularly terrified to be here this evening. I just want you to just assure him that you did not steal his soul during this. No, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But no, it it was actually really intimidating talking to him because of how intelligent he is. From everything that I've seen from him. The guy's, you know, he's brilliant socially. I mean, he's so aware. Like I said, he's, he's two steps ahead of everything. I think society's heading in his direction. I think he's ahead of his time right now. Speaking of religion, was there any, uh, were there any letters that you got that people had just 100% committed themselves to a religious belief as a way to make good in their own head? I definitely got a, a good amount of, of religious stuff. Robert Yates, uh, the Spokane serial killer in Washington, I guess after he was sent to death row, he began a boarding in Christian uh, would send me quotes from the Bible, things like that. And, you know, you, you get some people like him and, and they thump their Bibles. Uh, son of Sam is son of hope now. He has his own prison ministry. Uh, Ramon Salcedo, uh, he's on death row in San Quentin. He murdered several people. He tried to murder, uh, you know, murder his own children. One of his children survived. She was in a um, like a pile of trash or something for a day with her throat slit before someone found her. This guy is sending me 10 pages of religious literature and, and all his bullshit that he preaches from death row. I mean, yeah, a lot of them convert to religion. Barry, Barry was an, an open and, and honest atheist. That's something that him and I had in common. There was a guy out of Ohio uh, named Nathan Brooks Nathan Brooks, um, I wrote for the, the reason that his crime was associated with religion. When he was 16, he came home and he shot his mother and father, decapitated his father, put his head in a punch bowl for a ritual. He identified with theistic Satanism at the time. Um, he had a list. He was going to kill more people. Um, he was found, I believe, that day or the next day in a cemetery 
where he was arrested, he was going to kill his brother and a bunch of other people. And when I asked him to explain it, he said he felt that he had to do something so horribly wrong that there's no way that he'd ever go to heaven. And that's how he rationalized that. And then you speak with him now. Um, that was that was in the 90s. You speak with him now. He's he's older. Um, he's He's real into yoga. I, I can't remember if he identifies with atheism or, or, you know, whatever. I don't think he has any sort of Christian or theistic belief now. He's very based in science, refers to people as organisms, things like that, where it's not, you know, the guy's not wrong. And, and, and not knowing you think he's a bit out there, but you're like, hey, he's not, you know, he's just different, but he's not wrong on anything. So if, if you weren't an atheist before you started this process, you might have been afterwards <laughs> after hearing, uh, again, you know, the spectrum of where these these people are on on like how religious they are or what religion they are. And it's like, well, this is just just a mess like this does this is there's no patterns here whatsoever yeah i mean you you don't look for patterns that's the thing is i think with, with a lot of this is people are looking for patterns and and you have to go the opposite direction you have to see how these people are different because see i think the initial fbi when they started the behavioral analysis program their idea was patterns and inducting these guys and, and categorizing them and things like that. And we now know that it's, it's, that's obsolete now. That was a great foundation and it's a great reference, but at the end of the day, you have to, you know, you have to look at things, you have to look at the people individually and you have to, you have to be realistic that they're not all the same and, and you can't assume anything really. I, I mean, it, it's all over the place. So follow up to that question about making you a better human. Was it worth it? Absolutely. I feel the experience taught me a lot. And that's initially why I did it. I, because I couldn't get deep enough. And, and still, even now, I, I still can't get deep enough. There's no amount of books or information or any of that that will scratch the itch. It, it's never going to get scratched. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, maybe in the future, I think what happened, why I stopped is because it, it got to a point where I felt I wasn't really learning as much. I felt that I, I kind of got somewhere with it. Um, I think if a unique criminal uh, comes along, that that um, I would have the opportunity to to speak with. I, I you know, yeah, I might take it. I, I mean, Todd Colehep was arrested recently in South Carolina. The guy is distinctive. A lot of people don't think about this, but he is both a mass murderer and a serial killer. You know, he had a, he had an episode where he murdered four people in, in one location and, and that was its own event. And then, but he also had this sexually motivated element to keep people captive and murder people in that sense related to that. That's very unique. You don't see that a lot. You don't see people who cross back and forth, you know, mass murder, serial killer. I mean, and he, he has both titles. That's a great point. Yeah. Do you think that serial killers, like the amount of them in the country, at least, um, has, has gone down? Ha has it shifted to mass shooters and school shooters? I think people like to think that. I think the media has shifted to that. Do I think that serial killers have gone away? No, I think they're very adaptive. I think they adapt to technology. They grow. I, I think it was in 97, you had John Robinson, who is coined as the first internet 
serial killer and you've had several you know craigslist killers and things like that and and i think they'll adapt to technology i think they'll adapt to how these crimes are being investigated i i don't know that serial killers are, are going away i don't know that it's fading you know and I, people like to think that and the mass shootings are horrible and and you know they seem to be getting increasingly horrible um i i remember when pulse happened i i worked uh right down the street from pulse when pulse was happening i was leaving work walking to my car the the police cars were zooming by me ambulances i could see from where i parked i was just blocks away from Pulse. i could see what was going on down there and you know I, it, it's bad it's very prevalent now in society yeah i don't i don't know that serial killers are going away everything that's driven them still drives people to do that stuff they will just adapt to society and to technology and everything and and they'll be around unfortunately was there one that you regret not having the opportunity to write and correspond with gosh uh kemper um never heard from him heard he doesn't talk much to people joel rifkin never got anything back from rifkin there's a guy in wisconsin who uh i think he's only convicted of maybe one murder uh potentially a serial killer uh attacked his own wife assaulted his wife uh, i mean just horrible just brutal some of the most horrific torture that i've heard of he's i guess he's real uh, uh in and uh, his name's john weber um never heard anything back from him there's a there's a handful of people this has been uh, an, an incredible conversation yeah thanks for having me on i really appreciate it you guys are awesome i look forward to several more podcasts from you guys in the future uh, i am a listener now so awesome thanks keep rolling Thank you.